Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am feeling really excited about my guest today because he is a true representation of resilience and recovery. I am honored to be talking with Matthew Ode, cancer survivor and motivational speaker. Matt was diagnosed with stage three testicular cancer at the age of 24, so young which then led him to chemotherapy, weeks spent in the ICU, five major surgeries, a coma, and some near-death experiences. I mean, that's a lot in one sentence. So Matt is with us today to tell his story and have us all learn from his triumph and resilience. So Matt, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great introduction as well. So excited to be on here. Excited to not just share my story, but really, um, I think a lot of the lessons I've learned as well, because we're all going through some type of difficult time in our life right now, you know, with everything going on in 2020. So I think right now is a great time to cover a lot of these topics, such as mental health and, you know, overcoming adversity and resilience and all of these things. So appreciate you having me on. Yes, thank you. You're exactly right. I mean, we're recording during the pandemic. um, And by time this airs, hopefully we will be more through it somewhat. We'll see. Um, But you're exactly right. This is a really challenging time for people. So I know you give a lot of hope and inspiration. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your career right now? and dive into your story. Absolutely, of course. So I am currently 28 years old now. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I am now a keynote motivational speaker. And in addition, I'm also a coach for other survivors. And when I say survivors, it's not just cancer survivors, but people have gone through challenging experiences in their life. And usually after we've gone through those experiences, we feel like we've had this greater purpose in life. We have this second chance, but a lot of the times we just don't have the clarity. We have that uncertainty in our life. And I want to help people find that clarity in their life, find that certainty and say, hey, listen, you have an incredible story, incredible message to share to the world that people need to hear. So, you know, that's kind of um, what I do. And, you know, honestly, when I'm about to share my story, I wouldn't be doing any of these things if it wasn't for the adversity and the challenges that I've, um, you know, faced in my life. So, You know, well, yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, so I can kind of get started with my story here if you, if you'd like me to. Sure. And quickly, before you jump in, it sounds like you took a really challenging situation, um, made a lot of meaning from it personally, and now are teaching other people how to do that. And this has turned into your career, which is pretty fantastic. I'm curious when, before you got diagnosed what did you think your career would look like when you were like a young adult, early 20s? 
Yeah, great question. So before I was diagnosed, and I still am too. So I have this, and then I also have you know my side job that's bringing me the income as well. But I'm, I was a personal trainer. I was a wellness director, so I was very healthy. Like I was in the health industry, you know, working out six, seven times a, a week. You know, eating the right foods, counting my calories, my macros, all of that stuff. So. I always thought that I would either like build my own gym someday and, you know, kind of, you know, just go down that health path. And, you know, obviously for me with my faith and I'll bring up my faith, but I don't push faith on anybody. But, you know, for me, um, I think God just had a different pathway for me, a different purpose, a different vision that um, he said, listen, like, you know, you're going to go through these challenges in life and we're going to, you know, allow you to share your message and, and share what you have to, you know, bring to the world. And I think that's a lot of, um, you know, some advice I could give to anybody out there is like, use your challenges and your adversity to your advantage right now. You know, you're, you know, just because you're doing something right now, if you feel like you, you know, you might not like your job or you might not like what you're doing, it doesn't have to be your end all, you know, you can, you can really, um, Fit, you know, follow your passion, follow your purpose in life. And yes, like take little steps to get there. And, and that's what I've been doing this whole time. You know, it's still I'm in the middle of that journey or just even the beginning of that journey. But it's very fulfilling. And it's very gratifying as well. Wow. Yes. So you were entering your 20s um, in the wellness arena. And now you're still doing that, but added another branch in the wellness arena about yep. motivation, inspiration, and some mental health stuff there. Fabulous. Yeah, I think, yeah, mindset is massive. Like, you know, and I'll talk a lot about that today, but really, I think, you know, when we think of our health, we just think of our body, we think of being fit, or we think of eating the right foods, or, you know, um, you know, medical bills, things like that. But we don't take care of our, you know, it's not that we don't take care of this, but we don't concentrate on our mind enough. We don't concentrate on taking care of our mental health, you know, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, bipolar, like all of these things. And sometimes you might have to be on medication. Sometimes I think there's, there's ways to get around it and you can really live a full life by practicing certain things such as meditation and, you know, um, visualization and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I can kind of get into that a little bit later today as well, but, you know, I think that, the end of the day, it all starts in the mind. You know, when you're trying to accomplish something, it all starts with a vision. It all starts with a mindset. And once you can eliminate those mental hurdles, those setbacks, those limiting beliefs in your life, that's when you can truly get out of that plateau, break that barrier and achieve what you want in your life, achieve that greatness, achieve that success. I totally agree with you. We're, we're really on the same page. And I talk a lot to my therapy clients exactly about what you're saying. And you know, if I have clients seeing me once a week for 45 minutes, I tell them like therapy isn't just done in these 45 minutes. It's a daily practice of, you know, rewiring your brain, working on your perspective, working on your mindset to help you get through whatever challenges or symptoms you're struggling with. So I completely agree with you on that. I love that. that. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's 100% a lifestyle. And you're right. It's practicing every day because, you know, once you're done with your, you know, meditation or your practices throughout the day, or even if you just like say, hey, I'm going to take a second to take a breather. As soon as you get back into, you know, your, you know, whatever you're doing, you're going to be set with adversity, set with challenges. And how do you deal with those challenges? And um, how do you deal with that adversity? How do you look at it and change your, you know, your viewpoint to it? So 
Um, yeah. So yeah, so I'll, I'll jump to my story here and, and definitely, you know, give a little bit of lessons along the way. You can stop me whenever you'd like as well. So, you know, okay. if you have any questions, please just feel free to stop me. So awesome. cool. All right. So um, we are going to go back to a very important date. So it is 2016, March 17th, 2016. So it's St. Patrick's Day. I'm 24 years old at the time. As I was telling you, I was a personal trainer, very healthy, very fit. Um, and, you know, just I did go out with my friends. We were having a good time. And um, I run into this girl. And we're out at the bars. Um, we have a couple of drinks. And, you know, her name is Lauren. I get her number. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, we start talking. Eventually, we start dating. And, um, you know, as the summer progressed, you know, we're doing all these summer activities from hiking to kayaking to all these outdoor stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, for me, um, I started to notice these minor back pains and my energy started to fatigue a little. And, you know, I was like, you know, this is a little weird, but it could just be from lifting. I could have just pulled something. I don't really think it's anything, you know, you're 24 years old. And um, so I let it go. And as weeks progressed, as months progressed, the pack pain just kept getting worse. The energy kept getting lower. And I was just becoming more um, really ignorant to the fact that, you know, something could really be wrong. And eventually, um, you know, about two and a half months later, um, I'm over Lauren's house and we're just hanging out. And then all of a sudden I start puking up blood. Wow. I start puking up blood for, you know, a couple hours. And eventually I get rushed to the emergency room where they end up doing a blood test on me. And they found out that I had lost two, um, two thirds of the blood circulating in my body, which is actually equivalent to being shot with a gun. So they rushed so much. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm telling you, like I was holding, I don't know what it was, but I just thought I was invincible. I thought, Oh, you know, I have food poisoning. I'm like, no, Real quick thing, if you're picking up blood, just go to the hospital. I think 99% of people would have just went right away. Me, I was just so like, I, looking back, I was just, I, I obviously regret a lot of things that I did. But you know what? I can't change that. So, you know, right at, right then, yeah. So right then, they um, they brought me into an emergency surgery where they ended up giving me six bags of blood. And they thought it was an ulcer that was causing the bleeding. So the next day I'm in the recovery room in the hospital. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking it's all over. And my doctor comes in and all of a sudden he has this blank stare in his eyes. And I knew something was dead wrong from, from that point. And he comes over to my parents and he goes to them and he says, can I speak to you two in private? And immediately I grab him and I said, whatever you're going to tell them, just, just tell me right now. So he sat yeah. down, he looked at me, he grabbed my hand and he said, Matt, we found an 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. We believe it is cancerous and we have to rush you to the main campus of the Cleveland Clinic immediately, which is one of the top hospitals in the country. So all I remember, yeah, all I remember is I remember looking over my parents who were crying at the time. And the only thing I could think of was, you know, I wasn't thinking of death. I wasn't thinking of like this scare, you know, I wasn't scared at the moment. I was actually, I feel like I went to this like survival mode, this strength mode of how am I going to be strong for my parents? How am I going to share this news to Lauren? How am I going to tell my friends and all of my family the news? How am I going to be strong for them? And, you know, for me, um, I think this is a really good lesson for a lot of people who are going through challenges right now is when you are presented with some type of setback in your life, 
you can look at it two different ways. You could say, why is this happening to me? Or how is this happening for me? Right. Now, if you say, why is it? Yeah. Now, if you say, why is this happening to me? You can make excuses. You can blame other people. You can have this self-pity. You can, you know, blame whatever, you know, God or whoever you believe in. And it gets you nowhere. It's, it's, it's a mindset thing. It gets you nowhere. But if you say, how is this somehow happening for me? In my case, cancer, I'm not saying it was a good thing at all. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm happy it happened. But I said, how is this happening for me? And it allowed me to use it as a lesson. It allowed me to use it as something that I could learn from and not just become a better version of myself, but use it to help other people as well. So I think that really helped my mindset. It really helped me in that moment. I'm saying, how is this happening for me, not to me? I love that. And that moment, I mean, when you said that, I kind of got chills. Like, I can't imagine being in that position of having a doctor say those words to me, um, looking over, seeing my parents' reaction. I mean, that's a critical moment in your life that you'll probably never forget. And right then and there, you made your first choice of how to react to this situation. And that's really inspirational. I appreciate that. And, and as you're going to tell throughout this journey, I've had a lot of moments where I went the opposite direction and, you know, I fell into a lot of different um, mental hurdles as well. But, you know, in the moment, I don't think, you know, I really had a choice in a sense because it was like, do I give up now or do I just say, listen, I have to put, you know, my my hard cap on and just, you know, stay focused on what is the next step that I need to, to make. So, you know, immediately they get me to the, the Cleveland Clinic. I sort of have friends and family flooding in and still on like emotionless. Like I, I, I don't really have too many emotions going on. Like I'm still kind of in shock, definitely. And I'm still trying to be strong and everything. And then all of a sudden Lauren comes in. She's only been dating me, by the way, for two, two and a half months. So to put this burden mm -hmm. on her, if she wanted to break up with me, I was like, okay, no hard feelings. I totally get it because like, that's a lot to put on somebody who's only been dating me for two months. And right. obviously, so yeah, obviously it didn't go that way. You know, we, we saw each other and we both just broke down. Like we were, I, I eventually just said, I need to let my emotions go. I need to just, I started crying. We both did. We gave each other a hug and, and I knew right down and there, she was going to be my rock throughout this journey. And, you know, I want to say this one thing, especially to men out there, like, um, I think for a lot of us, um, a lot of us men, it, it's hard to express our emotions. It's hard to let go a lot of the times because we feel like we have to be that strength. We feel like we have to be that person that's always there for that, that, right. that, that individual. And, you know, I feel like we need to, you know, at the end of the day, be able to express what we've went through, express what we're going through and allow ourselves to open up. Because if we don't, that is where all of the depression and anxiety and, you know, things in our life come crumbling down because we have all this baggage on us. And I'm not saying this isn't a woman as well, but women are definitely able to open up more. I feel like for, for us men, we feel like we have to be that strong person in the, in the household or whatever it is. So I just want to let you know, it's okay to open up. And when you do, and you do share with what you're going through and you do share your emotions, it's like a whole entire weight has been lifted off your shoulder. So I just want to be that voice for all those men out there who have been maybe feeling like they, they can't express what they're going through because they feel like they need to be that strong person in life. And, and yes, you, you can be that strong person, but being that strong person is opening up, being vulnerable and sharing what you go through, not holding everything in. So yeah, I, I love that. And I think, 
you know, culturally at a young age, men are taught to keep their emotions, quote unquote, under control, which really means holding it, stuffing it, pushing it down, which makes it so much worse. So your capacity to let it go, lean on someone else probably was a big part of your emotional recovery. Absolutely. You know, and in this journey, it's a very emotional, um, it is a very emotional journey and you cannot be like holding at, you know, anything back in this journey, because if you do, it's just going to, it's going to, it's going to get to you really quickly. So, um, you know, right after that, they, they did a bunch of tests on me as soon as I got to the clinic. And that's where they actually found out that I had what's called stage three C testicular cancer. So there's like stage three, a stage three B stage three C there's stage one, a one B. So I had the highest form except for stage four. The reason I didn't have stage four was only because it didn't spread to my brain, but it spread to everywhere else in my body, my lungs, um, you know, um, my kidney, like everywhere. I had, you know, pretty much like cancer all around my body. And, you know, um, they do this test. It's it's called your AFP test. It's a blood tumor marker test. And usually you want to be below a five. So this just gives you a perspective or you want to be below a five to be in a normal range. I was over 30,000. Like, which is off the chart. So I was like a number that like they didn't even have on the chart. So like they knew right away, this was going to be a tough battle for me. So um, they immediately put me on intense rounds of um, five intense rounds of chemotherapy. It's called BEP. And usually I would say with 90 to 95% of patients, the most you can ever do is four rounds. But since I was just higher level, they wanted to do an extra round. So they put me on these drugs called bleomycin, to splatin and etoposide. And what they basically do is, you know, if anybody knows somebody who's gone through chemo or if you have gone through chemo, you know, it destroys everything in your body from good cells to bad cells, everything in between. You know, within a week, I lost my hair. Um, I couldn't get out of the bed. I was extremely nauseous, having to take nausea pills all the time. I couldn't get anything down. I was already losing, you know, a ton of weight. Um, And to make make matters worse, you know, right in the middle of my chemotherapy, I think it was like my second or third round, my three-year-old puppy who was diagnosed with cancer about six months before me ended up passing oh, away. Wow. And wow. yeah, it was, it was a really, really tough mental battle for me because I took him to all his chemo sessions. And then when I was diagnosed, we were, he would sleep with me every single night. We were in, you know, we were in this together and to like lose your best friend in this battle was really, really challenging. And yeah. this was my first, um, this is my first real challenge of, I started to ask God, I said, why is this happening to me? You know, why are you, why, like, why are you doing this to me? I understand, like, I, I'm going through cancer now, but why are you taking the one thing that's like been keeping me forward, pushing me forward away from me? And for a good, like three to three to six days, almost a whole week, um, I didn't want to go to chemo. I didn't want to get out of my bed. I didn't want to do anything. And I was just, just destroyed. And and then one day no I kind of woke like starting to feel some depression at that time, I would, I would say. hundred percent. I was feeling depression for sure, because I was, I felt like what's like, I'm losing, you know, not just myself, but I'm losing the people around me too, that I need or the, or, you know, for me, it was my, my dog, but like, you know, um, you know, for anybody who has dogs, they know the emotional, emotional connection to it. And the fact that he's only three years old was even more challenging, but you know, one day I, I woke up I'm looking at the ceiling. I mean, I was super tired, but I said, I'm always saying, I'm like, 
is this what Duke, my puppy, or is this what Lauren or my parents or my friends or my family would really want me to do right now? Would they just want me to give up on myself? And I said, absolutely not. I said, right. so what I did was I, I got my ass up off of that bed and I started doing something small every single day. I, I Whether it was just walking a little further, eating something a little healthier or eating a little bit more that day or making sure I go, obviously I never skipped a chemo, but I mean, making sure that I have a positive attitude going towards my chemo sessions, things like that. And it really made a difference. Remember, it was, like I said before, it's a shift in your mindset. So when you feel like you're in that rut, change your mindset, change your vision. And, and for me, what changed it was seeing other people. It was being bigger than myself. I stopped having a pity party for myself and I started to think about other people in my life. I started to think about my family. I started thinking about Lauren and my friends and my puppy and stuff like that. And it allowed me to push myself forward because sometimes in life, the way that we get out of our challenges is by, do, is, is by having somebody there that we're doing it for, whether it's your kids or your grandkids or your, your spouse or somebody saying, listen, if I'm going to, it's bigger than me and I'm doing this so that I can live a longer life for these people as well. So that, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I looked at it. And, you know, yeah. eventually I persevered through chemotherapy and, um, after about four months of, you know, intense chemo, I, I finally finished and it, it was a great, great day. I, mean, I felt like I pretty much, you know, conquered Mount Everest. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a battle for sure, but, um, you know, and I'm really also hearing you say, Matt, like you moved out of the victim mentality at one point you decided mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to look at myself as this victim. And you mentioned like feeling pity for yourself, which is so normal and natural to do in your situation at the time, but it wasn't going to be helpful or effective for you long-term to battle this. So you made a choice of getting motivated by looking at the people around you and using that as motivation, which I think is a beautiful thing. 100%. Absolutely. I love that. It's, it, that's exactly how it was. You know, when you take a situation and you take, you know, your excuses and your, you know, why you feel like you can't do it and you start to say, okay, well, if I don't do this, what are the consequences for the other people in my life? not just myself, but the other people, how are they going to feel? How am I going to affect other people in my life? And that's exactly how I felt. And I said, you know what, yeah. I'm done with this pity party. I'm done feeling sorry for myself. And you know what? I'm still here. I still have a chance to, to make a difference. And guess what? That's what I'm going to attempt to do. So, yeah. um, you know, after, after I was done with chemo, um, really cool story was my dad basically said, all right, Matt, you finished chemo. And we want to host an event. It was close to Thanksgiving at this time, by the way. It was um, November, like late November. And he said, so for Thanksgiving, we want to, you know, do an event where we get a bunch of people together on Thanksgiving morning because Cleveland, Ohio, most cities do this. They host what's called a turkey trot. And right. um, it's in downtown. Yeah. It's a 5K, 10K race where thousands and thousands of people come to do this race. And we said, we're just going to get people together that morning just to come celebrate your finish the chemo. I had no idea how many people, maybe 10, maybe 20 people would show up, maybe, you know, at most 50 to 100. And, um, you know, we get there and there's over 400 people wow. on Thanksgiving morning in 32 degree weather, too, because I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So in 32 degree weather that show up and are all there. We gave away free t-shirts. We had um, free t-shirts. I gave a speech. My dad gave a speech. 
And it was absolutely incredible. And we actually called the event mustaches for Matt. And here's why. I love so, that. Yeah. So yeah, it was really cool. So when I was going through chemo, within like the first week or two, I lost all of my hair, pretty much everything. Okay. But the one thing I kept on was this dirty mustache. I was like, <laughs> this is all I got left on me. I got nothing else. So all my friends were like, yeah. So all my friends were like, okay, we aren't going to make fun of him for this dirty mustache. So what we're going to do is we're going to grow mustaches as well. So all my guy friends, all the dads, everybody grew a mustache throughout um, my chemotherapy journey. So the cool part was when, when it, um, the event hit, they, they all had mustaches. We gave girls fake mustaches and you know, it's been, it's been a tradition every, every year since. And it just goes to show though, that, you, I didn't even know, I'll be honest, I didn't know probably 200 of the people that showed up. And it goes to show that in life, when you are going through challenges, when you are going through these setbacks, you have so much more support in your life than you even realize. I want yeah. you to know that all you have to do is express what you're going through, share what's what's on your mind. And there will be people there to pray for you or help you or guide you in any way possible. I mean, I had over 200 people there that I didn't even know that came up to me and was like, I've been praying for you. And they even said there's thousands of other people that weren't even at the event that have been praying for me out of the country, around the world. Like, I mean, it was insane. And it was wow. just so powerful to see what support can come when you are willing to just open up and, you know, um, and you know share what, what you're going through. Yeah. So. What was for you to see people rally for you what did oh that gosh. feel like uh a sense of a sense of peace in a in a way you know um I don't know I felt like for me it's like my whole life like I knew I had amazing friends amazing family but when you get that amount of people there it's like it's shocking but it's also yeah. like like for me this is where my faith really kind of started to kick in was like thank you God for, for bringing these people into my life, for praying for me, for being there when I needed them. And, um, you know, I, I know moving forward that when I go through my struggles in life, I'm not alone. And I think a lot of people try to fight these battles by themselves. And when you do that, it's such a lonely journey. And once again, this is where these, these uh, mental health issues come into play is, is not being willing to open up and trying to fight these battles alone. You know, you know, it, right. it's a very scary route to go. And I, I would never recommend it to anybody. And, you know, that's, that was, you know, honestly, I wouldn't be here today, in my opinion, without the amazing people in my life. And, you know, for me, I'll really get into Lauren here in the second part of the journey, because, you know, when I thought this was all over, this was honestly just the beginning of a, a very, very long journey ahead of me. And um, wow. so... Yeah. So after I was, so done, that was just the beginning and that was a lot already. Yeah. That was, that was like the tip of the iceberg. Now we're going like real deep into it. So this okay. was like the, yeah, this was kind of just the, the intro, I guess. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So, so really what, what ended up happening after this was I am um, going to my oncologist and he sat down with me. He said, Matt, we have some good news and we have some bad news. Uh -oh. Good news is your tumor actually shrunk from 11 centimeters to three centimeters. I'm like, that's awesome. Such good yeah. news. Bad news is it's wrapped around what's called your inferior vena cava. Now your inferior vena cava is a central vein that goes from the bottom of your upper body to your heart. He said, right. we're going to have to do a 10 to 12 hour surgery with three to four surgeons involved to remove this tumor 
and we have no and the rest of the cancer in your body and we have no idea how you know how long or how complicated this this surgery can get and that's um, so scary to hear like this is the second really scary point for you i'm sure yes and i think the scariest part with that is the uncertainty um you know i didn't know what was going to happen so it's very scary you know leading up to these things because you just when you have uncertainty in life, it's a very scary thing. And for me, those three weeks before my surgery were pretty tough. You know, I was didn't want to talk to many people. I just wanted to be in my own little shell. And I probably should have opened up a little bit more, but it, it, I needed to get through this on my own. And eventually the day came. I got the surgery done. It ended up being about 10 to 11 hours. And going into the surgery, I was about 140 pounds and coming. So before all this, I was about 185 pound personal trainer. So I lost about 40 to 45 pounds. Well, coming out of the surgery, I was close to 200 pounds. I was almost nearly 200 pounds. So what they ended up doing was they cut my left hip to my right hip open. And when they removed that being a cave up, apparently my, my body went to the survival mode and it created all of this swelling in fluid Mm. in my stomach. And I remember waking up like three days later out of the surgery and I couldn't move. And I remember oh asking God. the doctor, I'm like, what's going on? Like I could barely talk, but I was just like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. And he basically said, he's like, no, this isn't normal what's going on. But the, they had a draining tube in my stomach. So they're like, the fluid should eventually drain out and you should be able to you know, see some progress. Well, a couple of days goes by. I am making progress. I get up. I'm able to walk a little bit. Within a week, I'm out of the hospital. And then a week out of the hospital, I'm still making a little bit of progress, but something didn't feel right. And then all of a sudden, the draining one day just stopped, just literally oh, just no. stopped like that. Within like an hour, I was in so much pain. The Percocet, the Oxycontin, they had me on all of the drugs, did absolutely nothing. I was rushed back to the emergency room where they ended up having to drain seven liters of fluid out of my stomach, causing me to go into complete kidney and liver failure. I had a cone drilled inside of my head because they thought I was going to have brain swelling. I had a catheter in my chest and in my neck because they thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. And I ended up falling into a two-week non-induced coma. Wow. Yeah. So all of this happened in like a matter of a day or two. And um, That's so scary, not only for you, but everyone around you too. Yes. Yes. And this is where faith really really um was a vital part of my life and while i was in that coma my mom she's insanely you know faithful person she like she had people go to uh this church you know and just pray for me we had these prayer services and they would pray specific things for me you know of what's going on throughout the day and she would have them pray about it and we had ended up having three prayer services and each prayer service we had two, three, 400 people come and pray. And literally in the middle of the last prayer service, my mom was telling them to pray that I would hopefully, you know, wake up soon. That was the day in the middle of that prayer service was the day that I woke up from my coma. Wow. That is really crazy. And I don't yeah. call that, a, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that was faith. Yeah. God. Yeah. And, and once again, I don't push faith on anybody, but like, you know, for me, it was it's basically God saying, Matt, like, this is this isn't the end of your journey. This is just the beginning. And I, I mean, I truly believe that to this day. And, um, you know, so for me waking up, it wasn't like, okay, I can get out of the bed and walk out. No, no, like for me, 
you know, another really cool story. I don't share this often on podcasts. I maybe share it on like two podcasts. So I'll, I'll share this one because I really want to share it today. It's just kind of on my mind is um, another really cool story is Lauren, who, by the way, during chemo, she would sleep over. She would be with me all the time. I mean, she was once again, my rock along with my parents and a lot of people, but she was in that hospital too with me throughout every little bit of it. And every day when I was in my coma, she would come over and she would grab my hand and all she would say was like a prayer or she'd say, Matt, wake up, like just trying to see if I could, you know, do any type of response. And that day that I woke up, she was holding my hand and she just said, Matt, wake up. And she felt my like fingers wiggle. And she like, got these chills and she ran yeah. over to my parents and was like, I think Matt's awake. And they're like, there's no way the doctors are like, there's no way he's awake. My mom and dad are like, he's not awake. Just, I think you were thinking of things like you might've moved his fingers or something. They come over and she does it again. And she sees my fingers wiggling and my eyelids starting to, to kind of open. And wow. right then and there, that was, that was how I, I woke up is I could only wiggle my fingers and open my eyes. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't move an inch, but that was me waking up from my coma and yeah, um, responding and like yeah. what a beautiful moment for her. It was probably such disbelief for everybody, but you were there, you were trying. Yep. That's it. And you know, as a week, as a week progressed, um, you know, I started to make some progress. Um, I started to, you know, I, I eventually was, I, I had a breathing tube in my mouth as well. They ended up taking the breathing tube out. Um, I could say a very few words, not much, but I could say a little bit. Um, I couldn't move still though, but I could, I mean, I could move my fingers and my eyelids, but I could talk a little bit, but I was so out of it because I mean, all the trauma I'd went through and, um, but the doctors noticed I was making some progress. So they said, you know what, Matt, we're going to take out one of the catheters in your neck because we don't need two catheters in you right now. So as they're taking out the catheter in my neck, I end up having an air rhythm heartbeat. I end up going into cardiac arrest and they end up doing eight minutes of CPR on me to save my life. And I end up going right back into another one week coma, literally no. a week after I was in one. Yep. No. So um, now I'm in the ICU for a close to a month now, almost it's, it's been close to a month. You know, it's hard for me to tell the dates. Like I try to tell dates in specific. I know for a fact I was in a non-induced coma for two weeks. I know for a fact they put me in a one week coma after my cardiac arrest. I don't, everything else, like, it's kind of a blur, but I'm, I'm giving you a brief timeline of like how everything was. So I've been in there for roughly a month now and I wake up and it's now Valentine's day. I had my surgery in early January. It's now Valentine's day. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I just remember waking up, there's flowers everywhere, hearts everywhere. And I just see Lauren and my parents there. And right then and there, I knew for a fact I had to relive my entire life again, like yeah. from rock bottom, to reliving my entire life from, you know, from, from laying in my bed to sitting took almost a week. I mean, it took three nurses, um, from sitting to standing took almost a week from standing to taking my very first steps. Again, this whole thing took almost a two to three week process just to get me from laying in my bed to taking my very first steps again. And, um, that's unbelievable, especially you being someone that was so physically fit incapable physically of doing things to like literally restart from the beginning. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Were you frustrated? Huh. Well, I mean, if you go back literally one year from that date, I was probably in one of the best shapes of my life. I mean, I was mm -hmm. lifting six, six days a week. I was running five days a week. I was eating those foods. And you know, for me, um, frustrated, wasn't probably the right word because I was in so much, like so much had happened. 
so much trauma yeah. had happened. What I was focusing on was how do I just take that next step forward? You know, my mind was on a million drugs at that point. Like I, it was really hard to tell. Yeah. All I could think of was how am I going to push myself forward? And, um, you know, I would take baby steps every single day and it still felt wrong though. At this point, I was already actually four surgeries in because what had happened was it took them um, three. So I had my original surgery and then it took them three additional surgeries to remove all that fluid in my stomach. And I just kept walking and walking and I felt just something just wasn't right. But the doctor said I was making progress and nurses thought I was making progress. After about 30, 30, 32 days in the, um, you know, more than that, it was two. I don't even know how long, but after a while in the ICU, I was eventually released from the ICU. And after that, I was brought to a recovery room. After the recovery room, um, I was there for about three to four days. I was still making some progress, but something just didn't feel right. At this point, I, mean, I had staples from my left hip to my right hip. And um, they're wheeling me out and they're like, okay, we're going to bring you into your last stages of physical therapy. You've been making progress. You've been walking further. You're doing awesome. And as they wheel me out to my final stages of physical therapy in my bed, I remember looking down at my staples in my stomach and they had popped open and my spleen was sticking out of my stomach that it rushed me no. to a fifth major surgery. Yep. Where they end up having to do what's called an open wound surgery on me. They couldn't close my skin back up. So they had to leave my skin open and they and had to put a like, big mesh. Were you awake when you saw that? Yeah. Oh yep. my God. Yep. I was awake when I saw that and they rushed me, literally rushed me to the emergency room and they did an open wound surgery on me and then the next day I woke up and I'm guessing you could tell where I woke up is right back in the ICU room and this was the scary part I had a big mesh a football size mesh over my stomach I had my hands and my feet tied to the bed because I guess I was moving too much when I was starting to get out of anesthesia so they needed to tie me up because I they didn't want me touching my wound, obviously. And the, the scariest part was I had a breathing tube in my mouth. So for about a day to two days in that ICU room, I was awake and couldn't get a hold of the nurses. So at this point, if I hadn't already been in rock bottom, I was officially in rock bottom. I mean, and I remember, I remember asking myself, I said, listen, I have two choices here. I can say I've fought a hard battle. I've given it my all and I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I, I, I can give up on myself or yeah. I'm in the toughest, most rock bottom part of my life. And the only place I can go is up. And I want people to, to think about that. If yeah. you're in a rock bottom situation right now, financially with your health, with um, a family or your, you know, your business, whatever it might be, I want you to know that the only place you can go is up, but you have to take little steps every day to get to that destination. And that's what I did. I said, you know what? Yep. I don't know what this is going to where this is going to lead me, but I know right now I'm not going to give up on myself. I'm not going to, you know, just say, Hey, listen, I'm done. So what, what they ended up doing is eventually a day or two later, they saw that I was awake. Um, they un, you know, did my, um, the ropes from my hands, from my feet. And I literally walked further that day than I had ever done previous to the ICU room, previous to the, um, you know, past recovery room. And I was at the ICU room in like two to three days. Whatever they did was a miracle. And you were uh, so determined. And I'm just thinking of you like laying there feeling so defeated. You're strapped down. You're just stuck with your thoughts. Um, 
you could totally spiral in a negative way in those moments. And again, there was another choice you made to look at it from a different lens, from a different perspective. And you came out of that sh- literally stronger. Your mind was stronger and physically you were stronger. That's it. It's almost like when you decide to make that shift in your mind of I'm done being in this position in my life where I have nowhere to go but up. I've, I'm done living a life of like, you know, all these excuses, all these limiting beliefs. You, when you make that first step, I'm telling you, for me, I was like, they released the shackles off of me when they released the rope. It's like releasing that baggage, like I said, off of your shoulders. You know, you've been holding on to all of this stuff in your life that's been bringing you down to this position that you're in right now. You've been, you know, letting these people dictate your life or letting your own negative thoughts control your situations. And when you say, I'm done, enough is enough, I'm finally going to set myself free opportunity is endless opportunity is endless the people in your life are going to be there and you're it's just incredible what you can accomplish when you say i'm done letting these things control me and i said it i said i'm done you know obviously at that point you know for me it was like i'm not gonna let this situation i'm not gonna let a setback after setback control my life so i made that i made that shift and um you know, within a, within a couple of days, I was out of the IC room within a couple of days, I was out of the recovery room and I was finally in my last stages of physical therapy where, um, I basically had to learn to do what we take for granted, sitting on a toilet, getting up off of a bed, um, picking things up off of the ground. And, you know, um, after 53 days in the hospital, I was eventually released from the hospital. And here, here's the crazy part is I was released from the hospital on March 17th of 2017, exactly one year from the day that I met Lauren. And Incredible. for me, I have no question that she's brought into my life for a reason. She stayed in that hospital, by the way, every single day. Did not leave unless she had to go to work. She didn't go out with friends. She didn't do anything. She stayed in the ICU room. So what she would do is she would go. She There was like a little hotel in there. And mm-hmm. you, she would sleep, wake up at 6 in the morning, come see me, fight the nurses so that she could be with me because you're not allowed to see me until 7 a.m., I guess, in the ICU. But she had to go to work, so she'd come in, see me, spend time. I couldn't talk for 40 of the 45 days or 45 of the 53 days. She'd just come and see me, go to work, come back, sit there, be present with me again, and repeat it every single day. And for me, that was, was, once again, God bringing somebody into my life for a reason. And my question to, to your audience is, who is that one person in your life that no matter what you're going through is going to be there for you. Yeah. No matter what really you're going really through. Show up for you. Yep. That's it. And, and, and I want you to recognize that person because a lot of the times the problem is, is we take them for granted. We say, Oh, they're in my life. And when things hit, you know, when shit hits the fan, then I'll just rely on them instead of saying how much you appreciate them every day, how much, you know, you're grateful for them to be in your life. I don't do this enough too. I'll be the first one to say, I don't do this enough for the people in my life. Not just Lauren, not just my parents and my friends, everybody. And, um, you know, you, you have to be grateful for the people in your life, especially the ones that you know, when you go, when times get tough and you're trying to get out of a situation, they're going to be there for you. So, you know, for today, I, you know, if you know that whoever that person is, just, just reach out to them and tell them how much you appreciate them in your life. And, um, that's such so, an important point to make. And it's so beautiful how dedicated she was to you 
um, and prioritized supporting you. And I'm sure she felt such a connection to you, even though you couldn't talk, you know, there's this unspoken connection we have with people and there's love and that's a true representation of that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's so true. Like, you know, I, it's something that I can look back and just be so grateful for. And once again, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that people are brought into your life for a reason. I think people come and go and you have to learn when to, you know, let go of certain people and situations. And and I also learned to, you know, realize that sometimes you just, you know, you need to appreciate people more in your life as well. And, um, you know, so eventually I was released out of the, the hospital. And at this point, I told you I was close to 200 pounds of swelling coming out of that surgery. I was now um, 110 pounds wow. coming out of that hospital because I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't drink anything. Everything was through IVs the whole entire time. It was one of the most challenging experiences because I couldn't drink water. So try going three months where only you could have IVs. Your mouth is like, I can't explain it. It's like a just cotton mouth all day and all I could get was a sponge that's all they could do usually and, you know a couple times I could have something to drink but for the most part all they could do is do a wet sponge around my mouth to moisten up like the the gums and stuff and that was it it was really tough I so I feeling that must have been horrible awful. it was awful if there's one thing I can remember I really funny story actually is I would literally get so obsessed with water that I would nurses would come in friends would come in and I would try to manipulate them to get me water, to get me orange Aww. juice. And I'd be like, hey, like, I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm allowed to have water. I wasn't allowed to have water at the time, but I would just try to manipulate them. And honestly, I like, don't blame you. I would go to get me water and like my parents were like, no, you can't have that. And I'd be like, so pissed and everything. And like, you know, so it was just, it was a bad, like, you know, and, and for the for the first half, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't even talk for the first half. But after that, I was just like, I want water, I want this, I want that, and it was just like, it was tough. But that um, sounds so tough, and I would probably, yeah. I can't blame you for trying to get that water. That yeah. feeling of thirst is really something else. It is. So, um, but yeah. So after that, um, you know, it wasn't like rainbows and butterflies going home. You know, I had a long road of recovery, but you know, I know I've been kind of sharing my story for a while now, but. Um, you know, this was really the the time where I was like, okay, I don't have the accountability of the nurses and the doctors anymore. Cause I'm on my, you know, not on my own, but I, I'm kind of on my own because I'm back at home now. And once again, I started getting into that mental rut. I started to fall into those excuses again. And I didn't want to do the physical therapy I needed to. I didn't want to, cause it was tough. I mean, it was really challenging having an open wound on my stomach, being 110 pounds, having to learn to walk again, all of these things. So you know, a week and a half later, I ended up back in the hospital with a standing heartbeat of 150 beats a minute, and my blood pressure was through the roof. I had 103 degree temperature, and um, I was there for about four days, and eventually I was released from the hospital, and um, I remember Lauren coming up to me, and we had one of the deepest conversations I've ever had in my life, where we both came to the conclusion, if I don't, if I keep acting this way, and I don't do the things I need to, I will not be here next month or in two months or in three months because my body cannot needs to needs to get the physical therapy and needs to get the right things. And I, that was the point I needed in my life. I needed that shift in my in my mind. So literally the next day I took a 180 and this is what I did. This is the only thing I did. I picked up a five pound dumbbell and I started doing bicep curls. That's it. Started doing bicep curls with a five pound dumbbell. The next day I did the exact same thing. 
this is uh, this is some great advice for people on a health journey. I did the exact same thing for a week straight. And then you know what I did? I started to incorporate a little bit more food into my diet, healthy foods. I started to walk a little bit further. It wasn't anything magical. It was something little every single day. It was every single day, something little that could compound into some, you know, my, my goal and my vision in my life. And, you know, within months, I started to gain my weight back. I started to gain my health back. And um, a really cool story, you know, to kind of end this is, um, you know, then th this part of the, the story. Um, about six months later, I, I was doing good. I, um, you know, I gained about 30 pounds back. So at this point, I was about 140 pounds. I was walking a little further for sure, you know. And um, I went to go to my ICU room to visit my nurses. And the really cool thing was the very first nurse that I saw when I went to go visit them was the nurse who saved my life when I went to cardiac arrest. And I just remember we, we looked at each other, we started crying and hugging, and he comes up to me and he says, Matt, this is my last day in the ICU room. I'm not even supposed to be working today. I had an emergency shift that needed me to come in, and I swear I don't think I would ever see you again if this wasn't it. And we now still talk at least once or twice a month. I have his number, social media account. That's amazing. It, 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 once again, people are brought into your life for a reason and kept there. And yeah. um, that's it, it so was, beautiful. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, so after that, um, it took me a full year for my wound to finally heal where my skin could grow over my stomach. It took me about two years, honestly, of deep, deep mind and body connection where I had to practice a lot of limiting beliefs in my life, a lot of mental hurdles I had to overcome, a lot of physical, um, you know, struggles that I had to persevere as well. And when I finally was able to do so, and be able to take care of myself, which was about two years after I was released from the hospital, I started to ask myself, I was like, okay, so what's next? Like, what is my next, you know, path in life? You know, I didn't go right. through all this for nothing. And I think it's a lot, um, you know, you know, when I talk to a lot of survivors, they say the same thing. A lot of people have gone through difficult times in their life. You know, it's like, what's my next step in life? I'm not just going to go back to my nine to five job. I'm not just going to do what I do, you know? I love what I did, but it's not what I meant to be anymore. And for me, I started to find amazing entrepreneurs, amazing motivational speakers. And the first person I met, or I really, you know, um, saw on YouTube was a guy named Ed Milet. And oh yeah, I'm familiar yeah, with his podcast. He literally changed my life. Like he That's did an awesome. interview with a person, um, kid named Omar who uh -huh. I have actually talked to quite a few times now. And it was one of the best interviews I've ever seen in my entire life. It was basically, when I say everything happens for you, not to you, that concept, that was pretty much from him. And, you know, for me, after listening to his interview of him going through, you know, all these challenges in life and not talking about, I mean, he's a successful entrepreneur, but the funny part was, he didn't talk about being a successful entrepreneur. He talked about his struggles. He talked about his adversity. He talked about how he became who he needed to become in his life. And that, to me, was like, holy cow, this is so powerful. And that's exactly what I need to be doing. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try becoming a motivational speaker. And that's exactly what I did. And now it's transitioned to me to also to be a coach for other individuals who have been going through different times in their life, you know? And it didn't just happen overnight. It took a lot of groups that I've joined and amazing mentors and people in my life you know I've changed my network because you know at the end of the day your, your network is your net worth and and that's what shifted my my life into you know 
figuring out what I was meant to do is being in an environment of people, like-minded people that could get me to where I wanted to be. And that's, that's exactly how I kind of came across you today and, um, you know, and, and how we've been able to connect and, and join your podcast. And, um, you know, when you put yourself out there, amazing opportunity and people come into your life. And I'm just very grateful that you've had me on today. And, you know, any questions, I'm so happy to answer. Wow, Matt, I'm I'm really blown away by every detail of this story. And just listening to you talk about all this, I keep trying to imagine myself in your position. Would I react the same way? And it, you can't predict your reaction to, to something like that. And the level of trauma, you know, you've been through physically and emotionally is mind blowing. And to hear you turn your trauma and your experience into something positive for other people is really making meaning of what has happened to you in your life. And I I completely agree that your mindset, your perspective, it's not what happens to us, it's how we react to what happens to us. And you're a clear example of having a really good reaction to something really awful that had happened to you and turning it around to be, you know what, this happened for me and I learned from it and I grew from it. I think that's amazing. And I want to highlight one thing that you've said throughout this conversation a few times is that you were really dedicated to these small, consistent steps. And that is what got you through this. And I talk about that a lot with my clients. You know, change doesn't happen overnight. Goals don't happen overnight. What gets you there are these tiny baby steps that you start to incorporate consistently and daily. And you gave a few examples of that one being starting to lift again with five pound weights, right? And then expanding on that slowly and slowly starting to change your diet again. If you try, if you had the expectation that you could get up and do everything you used to do overnight, you would be really let down. You'd be really depressed. Instead, you kind of celebrated each little goal and little milestone. And now look where you are. It's like fantastic, the person you've become. I appreciate that so much. And, and I want to share something real quick. I think the reason why I, I share that so much is to help people know that there is no such thing as instant success. There is no such thing as just instant wealth and gratification. And, um, you know, in life, especially nowadays with everything going on and, and, you know, now that we have social media and all of these platforms and stuff, people only see the good side of, of, of a lot of people and they don't see the struggles that they're really going through. And they think that in order to get validation from the people they love, in order to get the respect from the people they love, they need to instantly become this successful person or this person that um, will be approved by their parents or approved by their friends when really it's it's not the short game they should be learning, um, worried about. It's, it's the long game. Realize that when you put in work every single day, little things every single day, that's how you build an empire. That's how you build the best version of yourself. That's how you impact millions of people. That's how you build freedom, true freedom, true wealth. And just so you know, yes, you're going to get criticized by the people you love most in the beginning. But at the end of the day, if you are putting in the work and you're following your heart and you're doing what you're meant to do for a long period of time, those people will eventually come back. Those people will love you. They they still do love you. They just don't understand your vision at the time. And I just want people to know that this is a long game in life. This ain't a short game, no matter what you're going through. So um, that's why I try to say do little things every day 
don't and it's okay to to fail along the way if anything try to fail fail fast because failure is feedback it's not something you should be worried about totally it's everything is a learning experience i agree Wow, Matt, this is really such a story. I can't thank you enough for sharing. You are such a representation of resilience and recovery and overcoming life's obstacles and using your own perspective to turn around a victim mentality and to empower yourself to get where you needed to be to survive this. And I think so many people can learn from this experience from that you've shared with us today. Thank you. Matt, tell us, how can people kind of follow you or reach out to you if needed in the future? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. So I am on Instagram, which you can follow me at M-A-T-T-Y underscore O-D-E. So it's Maddie underscore O-D-E. And then um, if you want to follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn, it's just Matt O-D-E. And same with YouTube. Me and my girlfriend actually started a channel called Dating After Diagnosis on YouTube, where we, not just me sharing my story, but it's her side of the story as well of the you know other side of it. Because a lot of times, you know, you're not the one going through these challenges, but you're you're the one who is trying to help this person get through this challenge in life. It could be cancer or it could be a mental hurdle. So she gets to share her side of the story as well. So it's been a, a pretty cool channel that we've created as well. So you could follow me there at Matt Odie as well. So um, besides that, that um, yeah. I'm going to check that out. 100%. Yeah, I would, I would love for you to check it out. And um, if anyone's ever looking for a speaker, um, I'd be happy to connect. Um, you can either go to my website, which is Matt Odie Speaks. Dot com, or you can email me at mao at mattodspeaks. Amazing. And I'll make sure I include all that information in this episode's show notes um, and also on my website where I also <clears throat> host my show notes. So I can't thank you enough. I, I know you're going to make so many changes for people that listen to you and cross paths with you. And you're going to come into people's lives that really need you. And I'm just so grateful for your time today. Uh, and me too. I'm very uh, honored to be on, on your podcast. And thank you so much for having me. I know we're going to stay in touch as well. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of people to help and impact. You know, this is just the beginning for us. So thank you again. Thanks, Matt. No problem. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.